Chapter Three of the Sorcery Club by Elliot O'Donnell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter Three: Learning to Sin. Monsieurs Kelson and Curtis did not live in Pacific Avenue, where the popes held sway, nor yet in California Street, where the Crockers are wont to entertain their millionaire friends where they lived there were no massive granite steps flanked with equally massive pillars such as herald the approach to the knob hill palaces no rare glass bow windows looking out on to flower-bedecked lawns no vast betiled hall with rotundas in the centre no highly polished oak staircases no frescoed ceilings no tufted ceruleum blue silk draperies and no sweet perfumery only the smell if one may so suddenly sink to a third-class expression only the smell of rank tobacco and equally rank lager beer no messieurs kelson and curtis resided within a stone's throw of the five-cent baths in rutter street and that was the nearest they ever got to bathing their suite of apartments consisted of one room about ten by eight feet which served as a dining-room drawing-room study boudoir kitchen bedroom and from sheer force of habit i was about to add bathroom but as i have already hinted cold water on half-empty stomachs and chilly livers is uninviting besides soap costs something their furniture was antique but not massive nor could any of it be fairly reckoned superfluous all told it consisted of a bedstead three six-foot planks on four cigar cubes the bedclothes a pair of discarded overalls a torn and much emaciated blanket a woolly neck wrap a yellow vest and the garments they stood in a small round and rather rickety deal table and one chair of the very limited number of culinary utensils the frying-pan was by far the most important its handle served as a poker and its pan as well as for frying roasting and boiling did duty for a teapot and a slop basin they had no crockery they had only one thing in abundance namely air for the lower frame of the window having long lacked glass in it a couple of pages of the examiner fixed in it flapped dismally every time the wind came blowing down two hundred sixteenth street they had not lived there always in the palmy days of work before the firm smashed they had aspired to what might properly be called diggings and moreover had digged in respectable surroundings it was the usual thing the thing that is happening always every hour of the day in all the great cities of the world starvation through lack of employment civilization still shuts its eyes to everyday poverty who knows who cares who is responsible no one is there a remedy ah that is a question that requires time time always time time for the politician and time for the starving ones half the world thinks whilst half the world dies and the cause of it all is time too much a damned sight too much time but kelson and curtis could not grumble they had their room bare dirty and well ventilated for next to nothing fifty cents a week and they could furnish it as they pleased fancy that what a privilege 
they were glad of it all the same glad of it in preference to the streets and probably when asleep they thought of it as home but on leaving hamar's that evening they had fully resolved to convert their little room into a cemetery what else could they do what can anyone do who has no money and no prospect of getting any and who has reached the pitch of acute hunger he has passed the stage of wanting work because if work were offered to him he would not be in a fit state to do it he would be too weak too weak to work what a phenomenon yes to all those who have never missed a day's meals to others no they can understand and understand only too well the really poor who have long ceased to eat cannot work they are beyond it when curtis and kelson staggered down the stairs of the house where hamar lodged they realized that unless something turned up pretty soon it would be too late they would be past the stage of caring for anything too feeble to do anything but lie on the ground and pray that death would come quickly home kelson inquired as they emerged onto the pavement Al curtis answered and kelson taking it for granted that the terms were synonymous at once headed for their garret don't walk so confoundedly fast curtis gasped this pain in my side is like a hundred stitches rolled in one it fairly doubles me up ease down a bit for heaven's sake kelson obeyed and presently came to a dead halt before a dingy-looking restaurant both men leaned against the window and gazed wolfishly at the food a warm fetid rush of air from under the grating at their feet tickled their nostrils and mocked their hunger with a mockery past endurance arranged on the window-sill was a miscellaneous collection of very smeary plates and dishes containing an even more miscellaneous collection of food a half-consumed ham with more than a mere suspicion of dirt on its yellowish-white fat some concoction in a bowl that might have been brawn made from some peculiarly liverish pig or from one of the many homeless mongrels that roam the streets at night a pile of noxious-looking mussels side by side with a glistening mass of particularly yellow whelks a round of what purported to be beef very fat and very underdone some black shiny sausages and a score or so of luridly red polonies a similar assortment was to be seen on the counter behind which lolled an anemic girl in a dirty cotton blouse and a much-soiled sky-blue skirt a month ago such an exhibition would have been an offence in the fastidious eyes of messrs kelson and curtis but now it was otherwise their stomachs would have refused nothing short of garbage matt curtis's hands had left off clutching at his belt and were now hanging by his side the fingers twitching to and fro in a manner that fascinated kelson matt is there any logic in our starving none excepting that we haven't a cent between us kelson rejoined i know that curtis went on slowly but i, I mean why should we starve when all this grub is within two inches of us it's unreasonable it's intolerable doesn't the smell of it satisfy you kelson replied attempting to force a smile and failing dismally damn the smell curtis cried it's the ham i want i'd give my soul for a good munch at it and just look at that tea too don't you see it steaming over there what wouldn't i give for just one cup ten minutes more and it may be too late 
the pain will come on again and it will be very doubtful if i shall ever get home i'm close on the stage where one begins to digest one's own stomach curse it i won't starve any longer matt she's in there all by herself so i've been thinking kelson murmured glancing uneasily up and down the street still she's a girl ed that's just it curtis whispered it is because she is a girl if she were a man in our present condition we shouldn't stand a chance come on it's this or dying in the gutters it's our one and only chance let's go in have a feed take what we can and make a bolt for it if she tries to stop us we can settle her right enough without being too rough there's no need to be too rough with her ed i shouldn't stick it much curtis answered occasions like these don't admit of chivalry come along it's the ham i'm after curtis shuffled forward as he spoke and the next moment kelson and he were standing in front of the counter the girl eyed curtis very dubiously and it is more than likely would have refused to serve him had he been alone but her expression changed on looking at kelson kelson was one of those individuals who seldom fail to meet with the approval of women there was a something in him they liked probably neither he nor they could have defined that something but there it was and it came in extremely handy now what do you want she inquired shortly ham give me some of that ham over there miss and a cup of tea bread too curtis cried eagerly do you know what it is to have a twist on miss i have one on now so please give us a full twenty-five cents worth kelson said nothing but his eyes glistened and the girl wondered as she passed him the polonies both men ate as they had never eaten before and as they would not have eaten now had they paid any attention to the advice of hunger experts however they survived and when they could eat no more they leaned back in their chairs to enjoy the sensation of returning albeit slowly returning strength curtis was the first to make a move matt he murmured we've about sat our sit we'd better be off you go and say a few nice words to the girl and make pretense of paying i'll secure the ham there's still a good bit left and anything else i can grab the moment i do this throw these chairs on the ground so that the girl will fall over them when she makes a dash for me which she is certain to do we will then head straight away for two hundred sixteenth street don't look so scared or she will think there is something up she has never taken her eyes off you since we sat down she's rather a nice girl kelson said i wish i didn't look quite such a blackguard and i wish i hadn't to be quite such a blackguard who'll pay for all this will she we shan't anyway curtis sneered come this is no time to be sentimental it was a question of life and death with us and we've only done what anyone else would do in our circumstances the girl won't lose much are you ready curtis rose and kelson who was accustomed to obey him reluctantly followed suit a look almost suggestive of fear came into the girl's eyes as they encountered those of curtis and she shot a swift glance at an inner door then kelson spoke and as she turned her head towards him her lips parted in a sort of smile nice night miss isn't it kelson said halting halfway between the counter and the chairs aren't you a bit lonely here all by yourself sometimes the girl laughed but my mother's in the room there and she nodded in the direction of the closed door and one can't be too dull when she's about she's that there active as a rule 
there's no keeping her quiet only just at present here she glanced apprehensively at curtis she's recovering from ague gets it every year about this time your friend seems to have kind of taken a fancy to our ham kelson looked at curtis and his heart thumped curtis's right hand was getting ready to spring at the ham whilst his left was creeping stealthily along the counter in the direction of a loaf of bread kelson slowly realized that an acute crisis in both their lives was at hand and that it depended on him how it would end he had never thought it possible to feel as mean as he felt now besides his natural sympathy with women tempted him to stand by the girl and prevent curtis from robbing her he was still deliberating when he saw two long dark objects with lightning rapidity swoop down on the plates and dishes there was a loud clatter and the next moment the whole place seemed alive with movement a voice which in his confusion he did not recognize at once shouted and seemingly from far away quick you fool quick fling down the chairs and grab those sausages whilst from close beside him almost he fancied in his ears came a wild shriek of mother mother we are being robbed had the girl appealed to him to help her it is more likely that kelson who was even yet undecided what course to adopt would have offered her his aid but the instant she acted on the defensive his mind was made up a mad spirit of self-preservation swept over him and dashing the chairs on the ground at her feet he seized the sausages and flew after curtis ten minutes later curtis and kelson their arms full of spoil clambered up the staircase of their lodgings and reeled into the room look curtis gasped sinking into the chair look and see if we are followed there's no one about kelson whispered peering cautiously out of the window not a soul i don't believe after that first rush across rudder street any one noticed us to leave off running was far the best thing to do you are a perfect genius ed i wonder if this sort of thing er thieving is dormant in most of us i say old fellow i wish i hadn't looked at that book of amars do you know directly i took it up an extraordinary sensation of cunning came over me and i declare when i put it down i felt it would take very little to make me a criminal we're both criminals now in the eyes of the law anyway curtis said and now we've got so far there's no alternative but to go on it's easier for a hundred camels to pass through the eye of a needle than for a clerk to get work that's a fact the markets are hopelessly overstocked no one wants us no one helps us no one even thinks about us the laboring man gets pity and scents galore we get nothing nothing but rotten pay whilst we work and when we're out of work doss houses are curbstones damn clerks i say damn everything there's no justice in creation there's no justice in anything and the only people who prate of it are those who have never known what it is to want say when shall we take the next lot when we're obliged not before kelson said or rather you do as you like and i'll do the same well i'm not going to commit suicide anyhow curtis sneered we haven't the money to buy poison and i've no mind to drown myself or cut my throat they're too painful if we don't go on doing what we've done to-night what are we going to do trust to luck kelson sighed all right you trust to luck but i won't trust any more in providence and that's a fact curtis retorted we've been done enough now i'm for doing other people good night he tumbled into the makeshift bed as he spoke and in a few minutes worn out after the unwanted exertions of the evening both men were fast asleep
they were at breakfast next morning real dejeuner a la carte sausages bread water and they were doing ample justice to it when someone rapped at the door for a few seconds there was silence their hearts stood still had they been followed after all was it the police someone spoke and they breathed again it was hamar this looks like starving i must say hamar exclaimed as he sniffed his way into the room and sat on the bed why from what you fellows told me last night i thought you were cleared out and here you are stuffing like roosters you look a bit surprised to see me but you'll look more surprised i reckon when i tell you what brings me here you remember that book kelson and curtis nodded well hamar went on i read it after you left last night and i've come to the conclusion that there's something in it that may be of use to us us curtis ejaculated yes us hamar mimicked it contains full particulars of how we can get in touch with certain occult powers that can give us money or anything else we want rot of course curtis said you say that now but listen to me hamar replied since i've read that book i believe there's a lot more in occultism than people imagine you may recollect the name of the author of the book thomas maitland well to begin with he impresses me as being truthful and he not only believed in magic but he practised it if he hadn't gone into details i shouldn't think anything of it but he's so darned thorough and tells you exactly what you've got to do to get in touch with the occult powers and to practise sorcery he learned it all from that old manuscript he found written by an atlantean and the atlanteans he says were adepts in every form of occultism i tell you this chap himself scoffed at it at first and it was more out of curiosity he says than because he was convinced that he began to experiment he afterwards came to the conclusion that the atlanteans were no fools what they had written about the occult was absolutely correct there was another world and it was possible to get in touch with it now if thomas maitland was able to practice sorcery why can't we there was a gap of close on twenty thousand years between his time and that of atlantis and there's not so much more than two hundred years between his day and ours but of course if you're going to pooh-pooh the whole thing i won't trouble to tell you any more well leon kelson ejaculated magic and sorcery do seem a trifle out of date don't they could anyone look out of the window at what is going on in the streets below and at the same time believe in fairies and hobgoblins still the book made a bit of an impression on me so that i'm inclined to agree with you anyway go ahead ed is agreeable aren't you ed curtis gave a sulky nod i'm not averse to anything that may put us in the way of a livelihood he said hamar somewhat appeased briefly informed them of the tests and other preliminaries necessary for the acquirement of the black art and without more ado proposed that they the three of them should form a syndicate and call it the sorcery company limited to begin with he said we might sell tricks and spells and later on tackle something more subtle why we could soon knock all the jugglers and doctors on the head and make a huge fortune that is to say if it isn't all humbug curtis observed well do you or don't you think it worth trying hamar cut in you call me a jew but jews you know have a tolerable cool head and a keen faculty for business they don't touch anything unless it is pretty certain to bring them in money will you try 
Y E S, Curtis said slowly. I'll try. And you, Matt? Hamar queried. We must have three. I don't mind trying, Kelson replied. I expect it will be only a try. That settles it, then, Hamar cried. Now we'll get to business. To begin with, we're all wholly occupied with things of this world, money chiefly. Sometimes music, Curtis said sententiously. And sometimes girls, Kelson joined in. Music suppose on Ed's part. I don't believe he really cares a bit for it. He's far too material. Just what I want him to be, Hamar laughed. Girls are material enough, too, especially when you take them out to supper. Anyhow, money is our first consideration, isn't it? To this there was general assent. The preliminary requirement is fixed, then, Hamar said. Now for the week of wild oats. Lying, stealing, cheating, anything to counteract the code of Moses. Let's take them in turn. Lying won't trouble us much. Everyone lies. Lying is the stock in trade of doctors, lawyers, sky pilots, storekeepers. And dentists, Curtis chimed in. And shop girls, Kelson added. All women, rich as well as poor, Hamar went on. Lying is woman's birthright. She lies about her age, her looks, her clothes, everything. With a lie she sends callers away, and when she is in the mood entertains them with lies. Women are born liars, but they are not the only liars. In these days of keen competition everyone lies. Every editor, publisher, undertaker, piano tuner, dustman, they couldn't live if they didn't. Moreover, lying is natural to us all. Every child lies as soon as it can speak and education merely teaches him to lie the more effectually. Lying comes just as natural as sweating. Or kissing, Kelson interrupted. Or any of the other so-called vices, Hamar continued. So we can manage that all right. As to cheating, having nothing to cheat with, according to instructions, we've got to keep in with each other. So present company is accepted. We must pass over that. Now, how about thieving? "'Never done any yet, so can't say,' Curtis exclaimed. "'Nor I either,' Kelson put in rather hurriedly. "'Well, I didn't suppose you had,' Hamar laughed. "'Though, after all, more than half the world does thieve. "'All employers steal labor from their employees. "'All tradesmen steal a profit. "'The wholesale man from the middleman. "'The middleman from the retailer. "'Every government thieves. "'Look at England. "'Righteous England.' At one time or another she has stolen land in every part of the world. But theft is an ugly word. When statesmen steal, it's called diplomacy. When the rich steal, it's called kleptomania or business. And it's only when the poor steal that stealing is termed theft. We who have every excuse, we who are starving, will be content with, that is to say, we will only take just enough to keep us alive, a few lumps of sugar, a handful of raisins, or a loaf of bread. How about that? I might manage that, Curtis said. I might, but I don't want to get caught. And you, Matt? I don't mind stealing food so much, Kelson said. In the face of so much wealth and waste, too, it seems a bigger sin to starve than to steal a loaf of bread. The lying and stealing are fixed, then, Hamar laughed. What you have to do is to make the most of every opportunity you can find of doing people, present company accepted bad turns i don't see how in our present condition we can do anyone much harm curtis remarked 
we haven't even the means to buy a tin sword let alone a bomb or pistol if we wish them ill perhaps that will do instead possibly but don't be such an ass as to wish any one any good hamar said do your best to carry out the injunctions i have given you and we will meet here this day week to discuss the tests End of chapter 3, read by Don W. Jenkins, Rancho San Diego, California.